0: You guys ready to start? Welcome to Twitch of the Death Nerve, a cult movie podcast that takes a deep dive into a different film each episode. Our wide-ranging discussions will touch on genre, culture, and the history of psychotronic cinema. I'm Charles.
1: I'm Sam. I'm John. And we're having
0: a little bit of fun today. The last few weeks we have been reveling, drinking in graveyards, going on haunted hayrides, and kind of all around basking in the glow of October. So in a way, this episode kind of feels like a denouement to all that, like the closing of a trilogy, our final goodbye to the spooky season.
1: And that is why this week we'll be discussing a most delightful film from a man who I think really embodies Halloween, William Castle and his 1959 masterpiece, The Tinkler.
2: I'm William
3: Castle and I feel obligated to warn you about the next attraction you will see at this theater.
2: The picture is the Tingler, which I directed. And for the first time in motion picture history, members of the audience, including you, will actually play a part
3: in the picture. You will feel some of the physical reactions, the shocking sensations experienced by the actors on the screen. I guarantee that the Tingler has more shocks per minute than my last film, The House on Haunted Hill. But don't be alarmed. You can protect yourself. When you see the picture, you will be told and remember the instruction how you can guard yourself from attack by the Tingler. And now may I show you a few scenes from the Tingler?
0: Alright, so here's a uh, cute little synopsis I picked up from some... Random poster with the username Gary KMCd on the Internet Movie Database. What's the date? Do you have a date? I don't have a fuck. No, no idea. No idea when this kid wrote this. But, I mean, it's a, it's a real piece of work, this synopsis. Warren Chapin is a pathologist who regularly conducts autopsies on the executed prisoners at the state penitentiary. He has a theory that fear is the result of a creature that inhabits all of us. His theory is that the creature is suppressed by our ability to scream when fear strikes us. He gets a chance to test this all out when he meets Ollie and Martha Higgins, who own and operate a second-run movie theater. Martha is a deaf and mute, and if she is unable to scream, extreme fear should make the creature, which Chapin has called the Tingler, come to life and grow. Using LSD to induce nightmares, he begins his experiment.
1: This is maybe the best plot ever.
0: I love monster
3: movies with a bonkers monster movie premise. I know.
1: And I love that. So
0: I didn't realize that this was a mad scientist movie until you pointed it out the other day. And I'd seen it like a million times. And I just never thought of it as a mad. I mean, it is,
3: though. Right, I think I think it's hard to, to think of it that way because Vincent Price doesn't seem evil. Like, he's not the villain. Usually the Mad Science is the Mad Science movie is the villain.
1: So the thing that I love about so many William Castle movies is maybe aside from the 13 ghosts, most of these horror movies that he made in the 50s and 60s, the protagonists are they're not really heroes they're no. like they're not quite anti-heroes they're just sort of in this moral gray area
0: for sure i mean i wouldn't call vincent price's character the villain but i mean he does he's some, not a good guy Yeah, he does some bad guy shit he's likable
1: but yeah. he also and, and i think this is what makes the sort of mad science angle of this so interesting to me is You know, recently we talked about Peter Cushing's uh, Baron Frankenstein and in a lot of ways I think he's kind of the archetypical mad scientist and Dr. Chapin is nothing like that. He's like charming and personable and does these quirky experiments but can also talk to regular people which I think is not something you associate with the mad scientist trope. He's not as obsessed.
0: Yeah, I think that actually is a good segue, because before I want to get into the movie, I kind of want to talk about William Castle, the man, and what you were just saying about Vincent Price's character almost kind of like walks lockstep into William Castle himself. I mean, I don't really know much about his biography, but he has this like aura about him that makes it seem like the day he was fucking born... And he came out of the womb. He was like already had a movie that he was ready to sell. He's know? like
1: a carnival barker, exactly. yeah, for the exactly. modern era,
0: for sure. He's like such a perfect huckster type guy. But the thing about him that I like so much is that he doesn't feel like he's fleecing your pockets. His huckster routine, his like rack and tour type aura. He doesn't feel like a snake oil salesman. Yeah, he's
1: not trying to cheat you. He wants you to have a good time.
0: Yeah, he delivers. Honestly, if he was selling snake oil,
3: it would work. It yeah. would be a cure-all. Yeah, you, you get your money's worth with William Castle.
1: Or he would be convinced that it was an actual cure-all. And his conviction and
0: his, his belief in it would then work on you.
1: Oh, totally. And I think this is something that I... I think it's just such an interesting type in filmmaking history because I think especially like on our show and other film podcasts and just other, you know, film obsessed fans I've met, we all tend to talk a lot about directors and certainly William Castle is that and directed a lot of great films, but I feel like he more so has this kind of producer mindset where he's concerned with things like, budget and meeting a schedule and how can I put enough into this movie that it will be successful but I'm not really spending more than I have to or even probably spending as much as I should and like some of these do look kind of cheap but in a way that is just so endearing. Yeah and it's yeah it doesn't feel
0: shoddy even when it looks cheap like it could seem like it was shot over a weekend for a few thousand bucks. And I think it's because of his enthusiasm that every it's actor so that's infectious. on set, it, it must be infectious because everyone is repeating it. Like everyone seems so fucking jazzed to be there that every scene just sings.
1: Especially in The Tingler.
3: To go back to the producer, or more of a producer and more of a director, what do you think he did? Do you think he came up with the gimmick first? And then made a movie around that?
1: I don't think so. So with his like essential horror movies like House on Haunted Hill, which I know is another one we're all obsessed with. And I think also macabre and homicidal that sort of like stretch from the late 50s into the early 60s. He worked with this writer named Rob White. And so I think Rob White came up with the loose plots and then William Castle would sort of fill in the blanks. Yeah, I can see
0: him in the background just clapping his hands like, yeah, that's perfect. That's great. I love that.
1: Yeah. Throwing in lines of dialogue like the greatest line ever. It does a lot more than tingle.
2: (laughs) 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 Maybe it's the force that makes your spine tingle when you're scared. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Tingle. (laughs) It can do a great deal more than that you know it's odd i've been experimenting with this force for years never had a name for it until now now i think i'll call it the tingler
3: i can see that with with house on haunted hill and 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 mr sardonicus but the tingler feels like something where like we have this thing that's going to zap people and we should come up with a premise around that
1: yeah it's magical it really is it really is it's also so him it is so growing up I didn't
0: really know anything about William Castle until uh, nineteen ninety nine, when my sister took me to see oh, the no. House on Haunted Hill remake. <laughs> Most little kids of you know, yeah, the it was great. Modern at the time age
3: do not know who William Castle is.
0: Yeah, yeah, but because Stephen Rush's character was like an amalgamation of Jeffrey. I'm, Rush. I'm sorry, sorry, his yeah, Jeffrey Rush's character who played Stephen Price was this amalgamation of William Castle and Vincent Price. And it's the best part of that movie. He is terrific in it. He just like, he sells it. Like you can tell he is really getting into. Yeah.
1: I mean, he's great. He is also kind of like a little bit of a modern era Vincent Price. I mean, he's great in the Pirates of the Caribbean movie. He movies. loves in the,
0: the scenery. Of those he he yeah. can chew the scenery like nobody's business. But after I kind of found out that William Castle and Vincent Price were like real people, I kind of went lightly digging and I was just like I didn't really see many of the old William Castle movies when I was a kid but I like knew all about them you know like oh, yeah. once that like you hear about the gimmick it's like oh really and he did that for real like in a theater and it's it's something that you can say is a lost art
1: Oh totally like no one's trying to
0: get butts in seats in these weird fucking ways anymore. No, no.
3: The only way to get butts and seats is let's take an already existing franchise
1: and, and remake make, it, yeah, but make for it the worse and more boring. For sure,
0: yeah. It's, let's let's remake the William Castle movies yeah. without any of the gimmicks.
1: Where where's the tingler handy. kills? <laughs> <laughs> the tingler uh.
0: kills. <laughs>
3: <laughs> did you ever, did you ever see the sequel to The House on the Honet Hill remake?
1: No. Oh my God. what? It I didn't even st- know that existed. It was
3: straight to DVD. And it was a choose your own adventure movie. That's oh, that's
1: kind of okay, cool. Yeah, like, I, I never did, know?
3: but like it seems like a great premise.
1: Oh yeah, I loved those choose your own adventure oh books God, as a yeah. kid. Although I, f- I feel like I somehow always wound up e- being eaten by a dinosaur, I which was, is the dream when no, you're. a kid. I was a huge right. fucking
0: pussy when I was a kid. I would always be like, uh, no, don't go in the door. And yeah. I, and like, and sometimes the books would end like, oh, you're a coward, go back, you know. And they actually <laughs> like force you to go in the door. I remember I had a G.I. Joe
3: one where, like, the first one's like, do you accept this mission? And I was like, nah. No. <laughs> and then they're like, your friends are disappointed in you. And that the was end. the end of the book, two pages. <laughs> <laughs> but,
1: <laughs> but, yeah, th- it,
0: these gimmicks, like, you just, I feel like I would go see, well, like, like remember Snakes on a Plane, how, like, it had this crazy yeah. marketing bullshit, like, the yeah. movie was a piece of shit, but... You gotta fucking respect these like absolute carnival barking hucksters of the modern age who are trying to do some of this. They stuff.
3: had a thing where um you call a number, you put your friend's name, and then um oh, Samuel, Samuel Jackson would that. leave a voicemail. Yeah, and you I, yeah, hear Samuel Jackson yeah, had, leaving a message. I had, for I had you, my like, my mom like everybody at work got Samuel Jackson to call my mom like nine times, to leave. a voicemail. That's incredible. Leave a fucking <laughs> message. Yeah, after go after the see snakes on the plane, tone. Kathy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Well, and that's one of the things that's so incredible about The Tingler and these William Castle movies is, I think, in general, film marketing campaigns, even great ones, it's like if you were there to experience it, you remember it, and in general, it sort of dies out in popular culture. But any time these William Castle movies come up, people automatically talk about the gimmicks. Like they're just that yes. legendary. Oh, for sure. And that's sure. that's how I found out about them because I had a couple tapes as a kid that I would just watch over and over again. But when Turner Classic Movies started to show them, that's when I found out about the gimmicks because they would, you know, have those little interview segments where they would run down here's everything that he did on the Tingler and, yeah. and Murgo And it just, it's so the, the thought of being able to get away with something like that. Like it must've been so expensive to go around to all of these small regional theaters and convince them to like string up a skeleton. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is though, is
0: that if the people that were going around and doing all that, were doing it out of love. You know, like, oh, they, yeah. like they wanted to be around William Castle, and like the idea of traveling, going to theater, like that's fun. That's like a fucking vacation. Like he made the the entire act of your like post production advertisement into a party that everyone wanted to go to and be a part of. And it's like, and how, what? I mean, as a guy who's budget conscious, what better way to keep the cost down than to have everybody want to be there and everyone want to fucking give it their all and you could
3: take advantage of the word of mouth because it wasn't like nowadays where a movie is released in every theater at the same time it's like oh yeah. we're just going to be playing in texas staggered yeah. yeah
0: yeah you hear about it playing in lubbock texas yeah and everyone in austin's like yo when are we gonna get the tingler
1: <laughs> the tingler
2: it's tingling thing called the tingler. The monster fear creates in us. Lies asleep and waits in us. Terror agitates in us. The tingle, the chill. The tingler, the tingler. The
1: Yo,
0: okay, so you guys both read... Uh,
1: step Right Up. Step yeah. Right Up. Yeah, which, of course, we call him a carnival barker, and it's like he's aware of that, oh, literally yeah. calling his own autobiography step right up. He
3: he was never ashamed. of I think that's why he was so good at it, because yeah. he just reveled in it. He's he relished that, like, yeah, this is what I do.
1: Yeah, there was something that I was saying to you the other day, which... In general, when I say the phrase American dream, it's the worst thing imaginable. Like, I think it is horrible. It's this, you know, proponent of capitalism that's really ruined a lot of things in this country. But I think somebody like William Castle, to me, represents the best possible version of that. It's sort of like the opposite of imposter syndrome, where it's like he is just so convinced of an idea's success that he convinces everyone around him.
0: And then, look, lo and behold, it's success. It's, yeah. It's a, he made a fucking classic movie out of the Tingler,
1: which is just the most ridiculous fucking concept in the world. And, like, every scene has a new ridiculous concept. But it's also... It's not like this is something he did overnight. I mean, he pretty much, like I think you were saying earlier, it's like he popped out with a movie idea. Well, that's kind of how I imagined him, but... I mean... W- He so I want to say he was orphaned and had no family and basically as a teenager started working in the theater and had the same sort of personality where and he talks about this in his autobiography where he just like has a cool idea for a scary play and tries to convince people to make it. And tries so hard to convince film studios to hire him. Like, he goes around and just, like, shows up at Harry Cohen's meetings and, like, really kind of elbows his way in there in just the most, like, sort of hammy, likable way that people it's can't so hate him. respectable. Like, well, I and just... Columbia hired him, and, you know, now here we are talking about the Tingler. It's magical. And he also produced Rosemary's Baby, so it's, like, it continued up until the day he died his like enthusiasm for making these films and also for marketing them
3: that he had a good eye for what was going to work because rosemary's baby and the lady from shanghai were two movies that he read the book recognized like this is going to be a hit and wanted to make but oh, another yeah. director kind of stole it from him uh, lady from shanghai is Wilson, Wilson Wells. Wells. And then uh Robert Evans won at Roman Polanski for Rosemary's which for Rosemary's Baby was the better choice.
1: Sure, but he still was the producer yeah. and oh, bought yeah. the rights. Yeah, you know what?
0: So i am probably gonna get some i know i've gotten flack from you over the years for this but i'm not the biggest rosemary's baby fan yeah that's crazy i'm also not the biggest polanski fan
1: well i was gonna say there are better polanski films than rosemary's baby I but like China- both are great I like
0: chinatown i mean i think repulsion's fucking cool i
1: love chinatown
0: but what, what what i'm getting at here though is that now that you mentioned the idea of william castle directing rosemary's baby it's all wrong no I think it sounds fucking cool because all of the things that are in Rosemary's Baby that I kind of don't vibe with, I could see myself vibing with in a William Castle movie.
1: Well, it would be way more fun and way less creepy and paranoid. And and a lot less
3: modern and realistic, too. Yeah, it would yeah. Feel you, like you, you wouldn't a get those movie. realistic
0: performances. You would no. get those, we're having a we're you know, having gay a good old time, time and, here. Yeah, Whereas of...
1: no one on the set of Rosemary's Baby was having a good time. No. I God, mean,
0: no, and that shows. Fucking so look at John Cassavetes' his fucking okay. haunted fucking melting eyes, that movie. He's supposed to look like that, though.
3: Who, well, who would Vincent Price play in, in... John Cassavetes. John Cassavetes. Oh, yeah. Oh, he, he would buddy. be Guy. Yeah, I guess <laughs> so. Although,
1: in the late 70s, he would have been too old for that yeah. part. But if it had... He, no, he it would was have a, he was would a, been a, the neighbor across the way. It uh, was, the, uh, it was oh. late 60s, 1968. Yeah, but the book was written in 64. Right. So it wouldn't have been made until the late 60s. Yeah, Vincent Price would have been too old for that role because Guy is supposed to be an up-and-coming actor who's trying to break through. Anyway. Uh, Vincent
0: Price is a wonderful fucking yes, man. Yes, he
1: truly. I, I mean,
0: I feel like he's the kind of guy who could be doing a commercial for, like, some Stouffer's TV dinner and... And his performance would be nothing short of relevatory, you know? And, like, the Tingler's no different. He's just, he's amazing to watch. And I think this might be, this is my second favorite performance from him. Theater of Blood gets the number one spot. I was going to ask you guys what your
3: favorite Vincent Price is. Oh, it's Theater of Blood. I I love Theater of Blood. he's,
0: He's at, like, the top of his, like, hammy game. And uh, I just love it. And it's such a gory flick. It's so cool.
1: I don't think I could ever answer this question. You I hate mean, picking favorites. Though. I hate picking favorites, but I also... Vincent Price is maybe my single favorite human who has ever lived. I mean, since you mentioned the Stofers commercial, I have... So Vincent Price did a lot of food-themed ads. Like, he was a gourmet... A gourmet cook he wrote a couple of cookbooks what? One, of, one of them i have in my kitchen um, <laughs> oh my god yeah we should cook some uh vincent price that, stuff it would be year. a good
3: halloween yeah you know, send off
1: that would be fun a lot of the recipes are sort of horrifying though because they are very mid 70s which if you know anything about like gourmet food and food magazines it was a lot of like jellied things and Oh yeah, there's not a lot of they vegetarian recipes J-Lo in there. They love making Jello molds
0: with like fucking meat.
3: toothpicks, just and meat just floating yes. around in them and shit. Oh, an wow. old I just thought you were gonna say veal.
1: No, there are veal recipes in there. We'll have to look at it later, but. He did a lot of food ads, and so my kitchen i is covered with Vincent Price food ads. You
0: have, like, a Vincent Price food ad shrine in there. I do. <laughs> I it's a like wall. I have a I whole Vincent Price wall. I into you praying to that some night with some incense burning and not bad Well, nine. who
1: do you think keeps watch over my culinary experiments, Vincent Price, but- <laughs> So I think as a kid, I would have said House on Haunted Hill or Theater of Blood were my favorite because House of Haunted Hill or House on Haunted Hill is the movie that I watched. Like I've had, you know, lifelong insomnia. And so I would be up at like four in the morning, freaked out, not able to sleep. And my grandmother would come downstairs and watch House on Haunted Hill with me. And so that was our like.
0: That's your glass of warm milk.
1: Yeah, that's my glass of warm milk. But. For my old blog, like, over a decade ago, I did a Vincent Price season, and I watched and reviewed, like, a hundred Vincent Price movies, and... Oh, my God, Sam. I love Vincent Price. Slow down. But that made it really impossible for me to figure out which one is my favorite, because it's like you've got the Corman movies, you've got the... The sort of weirdo stuff that he did, like confessions yeah. of an opium eater. And
0: honestly, I think that it's entirely commendable of you.
1: To be so compulsive? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: to just not have that desire in your heart to just like pick favorites with stuff. I know me and you, John, like growing up, yeah. every conversation we had is like, Yo, what's your favorite fucking top
1: five? Top
0: five times Jason walked by, <laughs> you know.
1: Clearly, the answer to that is the time when he uh, steals the boombox and Jason takes Manhattan.
0: Oh my God, you you got a soapbox, Sam, and your soapbox is Jason Takes Manhattan. Is a <laughs> what's the one where he does the Bond knockoff? What? Yeah, he like, you know, in every James Bond movie starts with James Bond walking. Oh, and uh, six. Yeah. Is that it? The, yeah, yes. six starts with James Bond. Yeah, we just saw that at the drive-in.
1: We also got to see The Tingler at the drive-in uh, this summer.
0: Okay, so The Tingler's great gimmick that I'm sure you already know about, so I'm just, you know, going over old yesterday's news, is uh, at the, towards the end of the movie, there's a, a character who's the proprietor of a small silent film house and the Tingler, which is this parasitic creature that lives in everyone's bodies that feeds off of your fear. And the only way to possibly expel it is by screaming screaming as loud as you can. And so in the, in the movie, the Tingler gets loose in this silent film house and in real life, uh, William Castle, had rigged up these little vibrator perceptos. This is a Percepto, right? Yeah. Percepto machine mabobs underneath a select few seats. So during a scene when the tingler's loose in the theater, everything goes black. And Vincent Price's voice comes over and says
2: Ladies and gentlemen, please do not panic, but scream! Scream for your lives! The tingler is loose in this theater. And if you don't scream, it may kill you. Scream! Scream! Keep screaming! Scream for your lives! It's here! It's over here! Help! Help! Look out, it's under the seat! Ladies and gentlemen, the tingler has been paralyzed by your screaming. There is no more danger. We will now resume the showing of the movie.
0: The tingler is loose in the theater or, or something, you know, and and then the seats start to vibrate. So when when we went and saw a wonderful William Castle marathon at the Mahoning Drive-In curated by Harry from Exhumed Films during what was the weekend?
1: My birthday. Your birthday
0: weekend. What well, what was the weekend? Uh, it was Schlockerama, which,
1: which oh. Harry does every year. And it's it is always worth the amazing. pilgrimage.
0: It's just it's a great, great weekend. But what the what the Mahoning Drive-in did was so fucking cute. They had like the the guy that runs the like projection booth at the theater came over the the radio and was like, "Ladies and gentlemen of the Mahoning Drive-in theater, the Tingler is loose!" And like they had some loose at the drive-in, And, like walking by your car, shaking around a little Tingler puppet, <laughs> and like kind of like shaking your car up. Like some, it was just so wonderful to
1: like actually be able to sort of experience some yeah. of these gimmicks yeah and
0: to exp- I mean it's so good to me like that's just as good as the real fucking thing because there is people out there going the extra mile to make sure you had a good time watching a movie
1: I mean have you guys ever seen Popcorn Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I forgot all about I, that. I would love if someone did a real life version of popcorn aside from you know people getting murdered, yeah. where so if you haven't seen some popcorn, people gotta go. Yeah, some that people would be cool to too. Go. Honestly, if you haven't seen popcorn, it's this really fun '80s slasher that is perfect to watch for Halloween. But it's set in this movie theater, and. They do a marathon of horror movies and each movie has a different gimmick. And I would love it if somebody like Exhumed or something like that had a movie theater marathon day where they got a different gimmick for each horror movie so that we could actually experience them. Yeah. That would They're be so the good. best thing ever.
0: Um, Have either of you ever seen... Is it Joe Dante? Oh, matinee, matinee, yeah, yeah,
1: never, and I've always wanted to. So
0: I haven't seen it since I was a kid, and when I was a kid, I loved it. I rented it all the time, and like John Goodman was his. I mean, he still he's still delightful, a wonderful, wonderful human. That being. was
3: the the best
0: casting choice to play yeah. a William Castle. For guy. sure, for sure. I mean, and like William Castle's kind of like cigar chomping. Affect, and I love when he shows up before a movie. It's
1: honestly, and like even halfway through it, the intermission to like tell you something, or like the punishment pole and Mr. Sardana. I I think (laughs) okay,
0: so I think that punishment pole might be my favorite of his of his gimmicks. Like just because it's so simple, but like it, it just the way he just gets you to feel like you're part of it, like you're involved, and like to have a poll where like, do you think Mr. Sardonicus should be punished for his crimes? And it's
1: like, everyone, and then he and, pretends to see responses yeah, like from the audience. the audience. Yeah, like, that's my favorite part it's of it. It's so
3: fun, and you know, kids fell for that too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, little kids in and, nineteen sixty one. They definitely yeah. thought that dude in twelve feet tall black and white dude was and, watching.
2: And them.
0: also because there was older people in the audience who were probably having fun too, who who knew it was a gimmick but like loved it, you yeah. know, and were having a ball with it. So and it's kind of like the Haunted Hay Rides you've been going on recently. Yeah. Like the little kids at first were like, I'm not scared. I'm not scared. And then like we'll be sitting around and we'll start being like, oh, you yeah. know, like getting scared. And then we look over at the kids and they're like terrified. They're, they're, they're done talking and asking for high fives from the actors. You know, they're like fucking <laughs> shit. This just got real. I didn't like that last. And like, ugh, gosh,
1: it it's magical. It is.
0: It is. I fucking love October. When I see little kids scared on the Haunted Hayride,
3: like I build it up where I'm like, oh my God, here it comes. We're going to get there. <laughs> Did you oh see my that? God. Oh my God.
2: <laughs> I love
3: it. I love adding to it. Uh, yeah.
1: And I feel like getting to see these movies as they came out in the early 60s must have been such an interesting experience because if you think about the way that horror movies in the US were at that time, it's like we were coming out of the 50s when there basically were no serious horror films or very few. They were all these sort of like big dumb monster movie, atomic terror, mad scientist shenanigans. Yeah. And then everything sort of turns on a dime in 1960 with Psycho and like Black Sunday and this, I think, interest a lot of directors had in... Europe and in the United States to make more serious horror. I mean, Eyes Without a Face is that year. Peeping and, Tom. Yeah, Peeping Tom. And William Castle's this like interesting bridge between the two because he definitely. Like probably my favorite thing about him is the way that he includes like beloved genre tropes. Like Mr. Sardonicus, we we watched it. It was Dracula. Yeah, with breakfast this morning. Yeah, it it totally borrows from Gothic literature and Dracula, but you have other stuff like macabre and homicidal that borrows from Psycho and has that sort of more serious suspense tone. But he still has that camp of the fifties, that like fun fun It's 50s like mean vibe. some of those are like mean spirited but fun. Oh
3: yeah. Yeah. That's the when I rewatched the Tingler, I was kinda surprised at how serious it took itself. Yeah. Like even though it was Campy had the gimmick, but it still was never like winking at you. It was yeah. like,
0: No, this monster will kill you. For yeah, sure. It, and, uh, Vincent Price, you gotta pay a that of gratitude to him yes. because he sells it. Like he doesn't he's a fucking
1: great actor. You know, people like to talk about how he's so hammy and he chews the scenery and he does, sure he does, but I feel like sometimes there's this inclination to talk about Vincent Price and actors like him as if that's the only work they could get and they're just sort of schlocky and hammy and that's all they can do. Yeah. But I think you need a really incredible actor who has a great range, who is classically trained. That's why when you see someone doing hammy him.
0: and chewing the scenery who's not as good as Vincent Price, it's, it's, rough. it's like, oh, God, I it's don't like watch fucking... a soap opera. It's yeah, it's painful. awful. It's, yeah. yeah, it's terrible. And that's why earlier when I was making that joke about Stopher's you know, he could TV sell dinners, you that Stouffer's. He would and he would never fucking phone it in. And that's
1: another thing. That's another reason I love him so much is because I think and if you listen to any interviews with people who have worked with him, they all pretty much say the same thing, which is he just loved working and he loved making films and commercials and being on TV episodes. And he almost like on some level, I don't want to say he didn't care what he worked on, because I, I don't think that's true at all. But he just always seemed to have such a great time and everybody said that it was infectious. Like him taking it seriously, but having fun with it. I think
0: that's why his collaborations with William Castle are among William Castle's best and they're his most popular and remembered. I mean, a lot of William Castle movies, if you just like jumped in at some random point, you'd be like, ah, this is a little corny.
1: Oh, yeah, there there definitely are movies. So it's interesting the way that his career changes solely based on who he's working with. Like in the 60s, he made a movie called, uh, what the hell is it called? The one you just watched, Night Stalker? Night Walker. Night Walker. He made Night Walker with Barbara Stanwyck, which is great because she's such an incredible actress. Straight Jacket with Joan Crawford. But when he makes movies with people who don't have that level of talent, you can really feel the difference. Yeah,
3: he had Robert Block writing *Nightwalker* too. Oh
1: yeah, he did. Which How it, did you describe what is it? That? Is
0: that a movie about your life, John?
1: Uh, what Robert?
0: No, you're the
3: Nightwalker. You're the Nightwalker. No, it was. It, it felt like *His Spellbound*. Yeah, It had it's all great. like the weird like dream imagery happening.
1: It's so, it's one of those so. Almost all of his movies aside from 13 Ghosts and some of the comedies and even some of the comedies have this. There's always this like bad marriage where a husband is trying to kill a wife or vice versa he apparently was yeah. super happily married his oh, entire I, life but you wouldn't ask, know it from his movie
0: ask if there was something going on Oh my you know, god you've got to read his
1: autobiography I would the love way to. the way he talks about his wife is the sweetest thing ever and Gosh. it's like every other page I think her name was Ellen maybe yeah. he every page he's like Ellen approved this script and told me it was genius and Aww. you're just like oh <laughs> but the marital relationships in his films they're always trying. They hate each other. Yeah. Well, I
3: mean, it's it's a, it's a a easy way to get drama out of a movie. You yes. Know?
1: And it gives you that mean-spirited vibe without it going into really like exploitation film territory. Right. It's like normal, everyday mean-spiritedness. Yeah. And
0: those kind of things were all over the pulp novels from the day. Like oh, your yeah. Like suburban housewife stories and like-
1: And all over film noir, too, film noir. which is like how he got his start. Oh, really? Yeah. You oh, mean? yeah.
0: The Whistler. Oh,
1: and oh, shit. um
3: uh, what's the one with Robert Mitchum when strangers marry? Did you ever see that? No. Are oh. they like
0: straight film noirs? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And like thrillers and that. So that was basically what he worked on for a while before he became a director, like as a producer and assistant director and things like that. And then when he became a director, that's what Columbia really focused on at that time were film noir, like sort of B-grade film noir and sure. and suspense thrillers. And so that was what he started directing. And I think he really sort of steered them hard towards horror movies yeah. because you can't really have a gimmick for a film noir. Yeah, and
0: I feel like he was someone who you know he had he licked his finger and he stuck it up in the air and he knew which way the wind was blowing
3: definitely yes he his first gimmick he was doing a a a play after two or three of his movies i can't remember what it's called i should have wrote it down but it it took place in a funeral parlor and when the played in new york city like the first like few days didn't sell any tickets so he started advertising it in the obituary section of the newspapers wow and then everybody
1: okay yeah Yeah, absolutely. And I think in his early in some of his early plays, he would do that. I don't know if I don't know who the first person was to do this. It had to be before his time, but I think he maybe claimed to be the first where he would get an actor to dress up like a nurse and would be waiting in the lobby because the film or the play was so scary that the nurse is there to administer to you. Should you slip into a state of shock? Yeah, I always I associated like that with William Castle.
0: That's his like classic bread and butter gimmick. It's so good because
3: you know? his first one was the death certificate for Macabre, right? Yeah, yeah. The best.
0: you got to sign. You got to sign a
1: little waiver to get in and shit. And the life insurance policies. Yes. Oh <laughs> uh, gosh, it's just
0: it's great, and like that that stuff is just so easy and cheap and and but i feel like so with fun. with the tingler that was the one because that was he was coming hot off the heels of house on haunted hill am i right with that yeah yes, it's yes. they're back to back. so and that was a big hit and that one's main gimmick was they had a, a skeleton on a string emergo. they like emergo it comes <laughs> yeah and like it was like zip the skeleton around the theater and with the tingler you can tell he's like oh baby we're going we're going full out for this one. And it's it and it wasn't just the Percepto rattling seats that they had. They also had some lady, a plant, in the audience for the entire film, who at the end of the movie faints and falls into the aisle and a couple doctors have to have to pull her out of the th- theater and like drag her away. And then a, a few minutes later that's when the seats start buzzing. So it's like
1: Can you, you, you imagine got- if that was your job? Honestly I would fucking love that job. And I hate working. I know you do. But it's almost like a it's sort of like a cross between a traveling salesman and somebody who works at a haunted hayride or haunted attraction. Except you're just going from theater to theater. He's a fucking carny. Wonderful. He's a fucking carny. In the best way possible. And yeah. It's, it's Yeah, not
0: not in a bad way. Well no, it's <laughs> interesting
1: because if you think about Dracula and Todd Browning, Todd Browning was an actual carny before he got into Whoa. directing. His his uh He was buried alive. Yeah. yeah he was yeah. like the living skeleton was his most popular performance where they would bury him alive and he would just chill down there for like twelve hours and then they would yeah, exhume yeah. him. The
0: best of these like Hollywood studio movies are are the ones that have that vaudeville feel yeah and and you can tell the people working on them weren't just like stuffy boring ass silent film actors but were like people who spent their half their career tripping over broomsticks and doing three fucking backflips
1: and understood the connection between physical comedy and horror and that same kind of palpable, like, visceral totally. reaction you can have which, to both.
0: Which is kind of like what we were discussing in our last episode with Samo Hung an Encounter of the Spooky Kind. Totally. Those things are all just so interconnected.
1: But it's also so easy to fuck them up when you're making a film and you don't have that just, like, genuine sense of love yeah. or, like, a talented cast.
0: That's why when you see, like, a lot of, like, shittier new movies... I mean, they're coming from the right place. A lot of them, you know, like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like some well, of these like the, direct to Netflix flicks right. that are just like all over the place.
3: The the thing is, though, back when William Castle was making movies, movies were like a destination. Like it was like, it was Let's an go event. To the movie. Yeah. yeah. Nowadays, movies are just a distraction. It's content. Yeah. We
1: just want to scroll through the options. Right. Uh,
3: What's What are we going to watch for 30 minutes before we go to bed? That's what movies are. Well, today.
1: and I think it's it's funny because we were talking about this maybe yesterday, the other day, in the context of John Carpenter's Halloween and Halloween two being screened on television. Because if I if you think about it, television also used to be an event, and oh, they yeah, would promote right. the crap out of TV movies or movies just screening on TV, especially for certain holidays because like you couldn't just turn it on and watch it whenever you wanted it was like you, you had to, l- to know look the at schedule the TV
0: guide you would go through it and see what was playing on what I channel and like i would write stuff down Me i'd be too. like i okay, had a highlighter Tuesday, yeah. seven o'clock they're playing godzilla 1985 on the wb and I am not gonna fucking miss it.
1: I had my grandfather trained to be like, "Look, there's this Vincent Price movie on Turner Classic Movies. Do you want me to tape it? You're gonna be in school." Yeah, I. So
0: <laughs> my parents, we didn't have HBO growing up or like any any pay stuff, and well, my parents were kind of poor. I, I remember one time they fucking cut off the cable and they said it was to like punish me for watching too much TV, but they just couldn't afford the fucking <laughs> cable bill. But anyway, Sick. so my neighbor had HBO. And I remember I gave him a blank tape and I wrote on the blank tape. What times? The times and the title of the movie, Double Team. And I wrote Jean-Claude <laughs> Van Damme, Dennis Rodman. I said, please, eight o'clock tonight on HBO, Double Team is playing. I need you to tape it for me. I'll do I mean, please, please, please. And he's like, sure, I'll do it. And he, and he gave it back to me. It didn't have the movie on there. No. He, he fucked up and hit the right buttons. And so I, I, I've never seen Double Team.
2: I'm going to get on my boat and I'm going up river and I'm going to kick that son of a bitch bison's ass so hard that the next bison wannabe is going to feel it. Now who wants to go home and who wants to go with me?
1: That's so tragic. But I think also those, (laughs) Sorry for that aside. No, but I, I think those sort of stories illustrate how much more of an event movies and even television episodes used to be. Now, it's like, yes, it's convenient that we can just sit down and, you know, search for what the hell ever is streaming. But it also, I think, makes you take it less seriously. So you almost can't have these sorts of gimmicks anymore. Yeah. It's hard for me to imagine other than fun marketing campaigns like Snakes on a Plane, which... I remember the marketing campaign, but I never saw the movie. So it's.
0: I mean, there's a couple other fucking modern gimmicks that exist, especially in in movie theaters that, you know, still have them. Uh, Fuck. What was what's the shit called at a at the town 16 that like it wasn't 3D. It wasn't fucking IMAX. It was not XD. It was the fucking rattling goddamn D-box. 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 D-Box
3: seats. Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. I remember. <laughs> so what are, what are D-Box seats? D-Box seats, like, they shake with the movie. It's like, you know when you go to, like, um, Universal Studios, and it's not a ride. It's just, like, a 3D thing, but you're in a chair that, like... Moves around. Moves around. It's sort of like that.
0: But it was like curated to the movie.
3: Yes, so when like a helicopter yeah. like took off, it was like a You would feel a like rumble. Oh light. my God. I remember seeing Godzilla 2014 with my friend who is an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> Not nice. And He's uh, a drunk. Yeah, he's a drunk. Um, and he got sloshed like 20 minutes into the movie. So he was asleep and passed out. So, me and my I know where
1: this is going. Me and
3: my buddy Josh just filmed him on the D box, just swinging around this fucking yep, yeah, passed drunk, out, passed out by just side but to side. but with a death grip on his beer can, so he, <laughs> so he didn't spill a drop. <laughs> we were watching him more than we were watching the movie.
0: Yeah, I mean, but like the thing is, with those D box seats is that it's like, I mean, I so the one movie that I saw in D box was Alien. Covenant? Convent? Covenant. Covenant. Alien Covenant. Covenant. I think that was
3: the last Alien movie. And it it
0: was, I mean, it was an absolute piece of shit movie. But, like, for the first, like, half hour, 45 minutes, that, like, my seat was like, moving around a little bit and like it would like give me a little jump scare when like something happened. I was like, oh this is fucking cool. Look at this. And then after a while I got annoyed with it and I turned it off. I saw that first person action movie,
3: like hardcore Harry or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that and like I saw that in the D box and I was like, Yeah, that's the D box way like that's the D Box movie. This movie that's just like watching a guy play a first person shooter game for 90
0: minutes. Yeah, it sucks that like okay, so we still have gimmicks. Gimmicks still exist in the movie theater. They just suck. Yeah, you know, they're not there's there's no William
3: Castle. Well, you know that 3D Sad. comes back every time home video makes an adva- uh, an advancement or home viewing um, 3D came when television came out in the 50s then in the 80s it came back when VCRs oh. came around and then it came back when uh, streaming came around wow yeah. Johnny is this a pet theory no 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 I've read this somewhere I mean it's I true that's, though if you look at all the no, yeah, that sounds awesome yeah.
1: That's
0: that sounds very true
1: yeah 3D is another one of those gimmicks that I love in theory but And especially, so, you know, we mentioned Harry from Exhumed. He has done these crazy 35 millimeter screenings where he got 3D glasses made specifically for the event. And they're like these, they're not the paper glasses. They're these like legit glasses. He gave everybody this like sort of angry dad lecture beforehand. Like these glasses cost like $50 a pair. I had hundreds of them made. Oh,
0: th- oh yeah! Dan Fraga gave that. Yes. Yeah, I remember that. I remember like you have being... to
1: give the glasses back. You cannot scratch them. Do you yeah, not put so them in your mouth. I was nervous when they
0: were in my fucking hands. When they passed them out, I was like, I am gonna, I, I got to be careful now.
1: But you that know? that's a sort of thing where it feels like an event, and you're watching these great like 60s and 70s 3D movies where the whole movie was made with this idea in mind, like we're making a 3D movie versus if you go see things i feel like in more recent years you can see stuff in 3d but there's just no reason for it to be in 3d Uh. it's like why are we here
3: right i feel like a good 3d movie is a movie that was made for 3d it wasn't like
1: like like friday the 13th 3d yeah
3: and of course the greatest 3d movie of all time Jaws jaws
1: 3.
0: I, I thought you were going to say Avatar. <laughs>
3: no. Oh,
1: shut Isn't up! Isn't that
3: four D or something? Because so, like they have fog and stuff. Or am I? No, no. I never no. saw Avatar.
1: So, Charles the, made me watch it last winter. Don't
0: say it like oh, that. Oh my
1: god. Well, wait. so here's
0: the thing. I think it's a piece. I mean, it's not a good movie. It's just fucking a three hour long Fern Gully,
1: which I watched on mushrooms. So it's, that was probably the best there time. There you go.
0: There you go. I mean, we're we're gonna get to psychedelic drugs very soon. Once oh, we turn yes. this conversation back to the Tingler. But uh, real quick, fucking James Cameron is at least trying, you know, like he's developing new technology. He was reading the room with the 3D and he done made a fucking dumbass movie that made people fucking kill themselves after watching it. Once they like process the fact that they could never go to Pandora.
1: And it's Which is <laughs> the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Uh, come on.
0: People committing suicide because they can't go to some fucking alien planet with blue and lights fuck and blue people. And fuck blue people. <laughs> like, come on. Just wait two more years and you'll have, uh, I don't know, Percepto or what's that shit everyone's doing these days?
1: Percepto is the vibrating seat device. From the yeah, yeah from what are the you t- talking about? What are
0: those things people wear on their fucking heads? Oh, oh the Oculus? Reality? Yeah,
3: yeah. You can fuck blue people on them things, can't you? I, I guess don't. you got to. No, I mean, if you... John, you know what I'm getting you for your birthday? If you hold down a normal person, but you make them blue on your visor, I guess so.
1: What? Or you could just ask a normal person to wear body paint. I don't think you need a I VR need, device. Uh, that ask one. a normal yeah, person but, to wear body paint. Okay, Come on. N- normal as in a biological human. But it will who, smear
3: on you, so the, the no, illusion not, will... No, not good oh body paint. Can okay, you
1: wait a minute. If I ever was unlimitedly wealthy or even limitedly what are you about to say i would do a porn remake of the tingler and my gimmick would be vibrator seats
0: there you go it's
1: like yes and the tagline would still work all you have to do is scream (laughs) (laughs) i don't
3: think in today's culture getting penetrated by your movie theater seat will be
1: well beat. you would you, know you would Culture have to sign always, a release. Always, yes, you would seriously. know what's yeah, happening, right. So you
0: know what? This there
1: would be a sex positive. This movie is something theater.
0: that that I was thinking about earlier today when I was thinking about William Castle preparing my notes for the show and just thinking about his gimmicks and like kind of lamenting in my head that there was that William Castle's despite the fact that he's a huckster and they're a fucking dime a dozen, he also is one in a million. Yeah. But I think that the successor to William Castle when you think about it oh no is John Waters. Oh, yes. You know? Oh, yeah. Like John Waters is someone who who loved selling his movies, that he just—he has the filthiest person on the planet, and wouldn't you love to see what they he's, are capable of? He's oh, like a combination. Smell-O-Rama, yeah. or, yeah, 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 Smell-O-Vision, Smell-O-Vision.
1: He's like a combination of William Castle and Vincent Price. Oh, yeah, I mean, he has Vincent Price's effeminate manners and, and his little mustache. And just great sense of style, style and culture. And he's
0: so sexy, and he, yeah, for sure. He, he feels like Vincent Price... And
3: William Castle. John Waters had the best quote about Vincent Price, where he said that Vincent Price was so classy because he was classless. Like he he was for everybody.
1: Yes. And I think he made people feel that way. Like something that he doesn't really get remembered for unless you're like a super fan is he would go on TV shows. And so he had. Lots of different hobbies. I already mentioned he was a gourmet chef. He was obviously an actor. And he also was an art collector and had this whole, like, line of art that you could buy through department stores because he wanted to introduce regular people in their houses to art. God bless him. And he did all this awesome stuff. Like, he would fund small museums and he just, like, wanted to share his knowledge and the things he loved with everyone, which mostly is art and culture. Like there's this, I told you about it recently, there's this really awesome museum in Connecticut called the Witch's Dungeon Museum that's only open around Halloween. And it's it's like a little haunted attraction. It's full of all these old movie props and animatronics. And Vincent Price helped fund the museum and like pay for the upkeep of these movie props. And it's just amazing to me that like stuff like that still exists and can be enjoyed now. Yeah. Because of his generosity and his influence. It's, it's incredible.
0: It's like fucking who's that disgusting, like rich oil baron who basically funded Pittsburgh for the next like two hundred years. Um Carnegie, Dale yeah, yeah. Th- that fucking dickhead. And like but I mean he's like has like this like funding of the arts in some shitty steel town, but only as a way for him to like you know continue on his family legacy of brutality and evil where as a guy like Vincent Price just fucking loves ghosts and movie props <laughs> and the fucking and ghouls and just he just has this zest and love, love for life that William Castle also has that is it's just it's why we love him it's why we love the guy because he's, he's just such a good fucking person
2: Hey Vincent, I really thank you for coming on the show tonight and so do all the Muppet monsters. Well, thank you, Kermit. I never met a monster I didn't like. I can believe it. (laughs) Hey, hey, you know, can I ask you a question? Yes, of course. Well, you know, in all the scary movies you've done through the years, Mm -hmm. well, you're always turning into a vampire. Well, how do you do that? Well, Kermit, if you will forgive the immodesty, that is perhaps the epitome of the actor's craft. You see, it takes tremendous concentration, years of physical and emotional training, and enormous mental exertion. Do you understand? Oh, sure.
0: Uh, And, okay, I want to get back to the tingler a little bit here. So we talked about the last scene in the movie, the, like, big seat-rattling gimmick. For me... The, the the real
1: gimmick the real
0: well the centerpiece of the movie the uh the creme de la creme of, of... The walls. <laughs> so fucking vincent price <laughs> has this incredible like dialogue where he's explaining like i can't get scared a child can get scared thinking a chair is a ghost and like and he's kind of explained that he like can't get scared and then he remembers that he
1: had that his assistant just happened to bring him a whole bunch of acid. Yeah, a vial of LSD. And there's a little handbook about it. Yeah, oh how how you
0: work the stuff. And like I love when someone says they refer to it as like a drug or something and and Vincent Price is like it's not a drug. It's an acid.
1: It's an experience.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're going to love this shit.
1: At
3: this point it wasn't it wasn't illegal either. No, no, no. no, no the like, no. psychiatrists were fucking around with yeah, that stuff. So yeah, so it
1: was discovered in the late thirties by this Swiss scientist who basically extracted it from ergo, which is a type of rye. And so in, you know, medieval times, these like werewolf myths came from villagers who would eat this contaminated rye. They would turn it into bread and get high as fuck and hallucinate things. So you get it LSD has such a cool history. Yeah but it was distilled in the late 30s and I think became available by the mid 40s, like as World War Two was ending. And so psychiatrists were like, cool, let's use this on our patients. Yeah, and their
0: CIA did some shit with it, too.
1: Well, not until a little bit later. But there is this really cool history of psychiatrists at the end of World War Two trying to treat Holocaust survivors with different types of hallucinogens like acid and mushrooms and they had a ton of success so because they had success naturally the federal government was like well we better make this illegal
3: yeah and
1: when the tingler came out it wasn't illegal yet i think not a lot of people really knew about it this was the first
0: movie to ever Show someone taking it, or well, and it, to mention it, I think, yeah, even at address all. it directly.
3: This is 1959, the the like the Roger Corman like
1: the biker. Trip.
0: yeah, the trip and all that stuff.
1: Not until the 60s, yeah. yeah it was, well, was in like, the 60s is
0: when like everyone got real hip to it, right?
1: And then you started to have, and we'll talk about these at some point, I'm sure. You started to have those. Sort of like hippie terror movies that were like, oh, you better not do these bad things like take drugs or have sex outside of marriage or anything fun.
0: To have a scene in a film where Vincent Price is tripping balls.
1: And we were talking about this earlier. He injects it. He fucking takes it with a needle. Does anyone, does anyone do that
0: now? I mean, you can fucking inject damn near anything in yourself if you really but want like, to. But if you got a needle, sure. but
1: normally when you get acid, it's paper no, tabs. Yeah, yeah. Or, or liquid or little droppers. I got
0: liquid blotter acid one time off the dark web, like way back. And holy shit, that was the stuff. Like, I one time, so what I did was I did a couple little drops on my tongue, and then I foolishly licked. Oh no. I licked the little dropper thing that was like sitting in the jar. So I don't know how many fucking hits I got. But like the next day, like 6 a.m. in the morning, I did it in the afternoon. And like 6 a.m. the next day, I was just like, all right, turn off now. Stop. I'm, I'm ready to go to I'm bed. I'm done. Yeah. Like, I didn't like have a bad trip or anything. It just fucking took forever. It sucked.
1: Oh, His seems to last pretty quickly in this movie, possibly because movie it's magic. a movie. Movie magic, baby.
3: <laughs> well, he collapsed because he got scared so much and screamed. Yeah, he, 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 That skeleton
2: really got to him.
1: <laughs> so good. And the walls. Yeah. The walls.
2: I don't seem to be tilting, but the room is. Side to side. Emotionally, I begin to feel somewhat apprehensive. Probably normal, however.
3: He's talking again. I wish
2: I could hear. Is he all right? Something is scaring him. room is closing in. You've got to make it stop. The walls. The walls. The walls. The walls. The walls.
0: Oh man. It's just it's so nice to see our guy. My favorite scenes when
3: the when the husband scares the wife to death. It's oh, so yeah. great, like monster uh, carnival ride, you know.
1: It it is like a monster carnival ride, and it's so well done with just like the different monsters and masks, and you think that she's on acid, right?
0: Yeah, or, or that yeah, that she's like crazy or soon. She, no, or she something. is on
1: acid. But he's doing all this stuff to push her over the edge. Wait, she's on acid in that scene? I thought he gives her an injection. Maybe it's just sedatives. And the whole time I've been thinking...
3: I think it's just said because I think that's just like a red herring. So we think that Vincent Price is scaring her to death.
1: Okay, that's how
3: I always read it. I could be mistaken. No,
1: no, I think you're right. I think in my brain it was just like everybody's on acid.
3: This is great. He had such a good time. He was going to spread the word.
0: Is that scene is really trippy because it had it's the whole films in black and white. But spoilers in this scene when she turns on the water in the bathtub and it's in the sink bright it's bright red. red blood.
1: And she's uh phobic. She's afraid she's of She's afraid the sight of
0: blood. blood and she's a deaf mute. And it's
2: the so scene, she can't
1: She's trying scream. to scream and
0: she Yeah, and she can't scream. And if only she could scream, then the parasitic tingler monster in her spine would You know what
3: I always wondered? So this guy who's killing his wife meets Vincent Price at the autopsy table because his brother-in-law...
1: Because they're just chilling over the autopsy table. Oh, that's a great opening. It's like they met at the bar or something. Right. Yeah, yeah.
3: And he's like, this guy got executed because he killed two people. And I was always waited... Every time I see this, I'm waiting for it to be revealed that actually the, the husband, husband killed, killed them the people. Yeah, and me framed too. them and now was trying to kill the wife to get all the money that the whole family has. But that never... They just happened to be related to another murderer. Yeah.
1: Well, <laughs> something... If you watch a whole bunch of these, especially the ones that I mentioned earlier from like 59 to like 63, they're... there are some likable characters like vincent price in this one and the two cute kids who are engaged but for the most part everybody's pretty unlikable and it's this sort of vibe that everybody's really greedy and is out to get whatever they can and everyone on some level is capable of murder or being pushed to murder so maybe that was the point there that you know He's related to a murderer, but he is one too, and he has that great line where he talks about how Vincent Price gave him the idea, and he's like, "It's not like I shot her. Does it even count as murder?" <laughs> yeah. Like instead, I just came up with this totally elaborate plot to scare her to death. It's like how how is that better?
3: Which is funny because Vincent Price nearly gives his wife a heart attack by threatening her with a gun for ten minutes.
1: It's great. I'm curious.
0: I feel like you guys would probably know better. Was this after uh, the French film Diabolique? Yes. Yeah. That's 55. So that scene to me feels kind of like a Diabolique knockoff.
1: Oh, yeah. So something I was saying earlier that I really love about William Castle is he would incorporate whatever he thought was great from other from horror literature from other horror movies so you do see these nods to contemporary films like diabolique and like uh psycho but then of course you see he's a dj yeah he's all over the place
3: Uh, there's even there's even a a part in his autobiography where he talks about seeing diabolique in the theater and he's like and that's what pretty much sprung in mind macabre where he's like we're gonna make a scary movie
1: yeah macabre is definitely i think it takes itself way more seriously than the tingler does yeah but also wait a minute we haven't talked about my favorite uh story from step right up about the tingler or what? it's just my it's my favorite story in the entire book i see you laughing john is it the biker it's the biker yeah so he talks about how percepto went over and just is sort of talking about some of the gimmicks and so he says that the tingler played in all these different country or i'm sorry the tingler played in all these different cities and you know became this sort of cult classic and he's like but not all audience members responded well to the gimmick
0: sorry i always wondered that like cuz I, I can fucking imagine like being in a the theater and seeing something and like like you know like the other night when we went to the haunted hayride someone punched one of the actors in the group behind us yeah. they got fucking kicked got out kicked yeah. out yeah Thank i can God, imagine cause some, they were annoying they were but i can imagine yeah, some fucking you know adverse I, reactions
3: i think that was more like dickhead bro than i got scared
1: yeah and i do think there is this certain type of dude who's like don't fuck with me bro yeah yeah, and don't, don't scare well, me. Well, so this is exactly what this story is about. So when it played in Philadelphia, because, of course, this biker happened to be... And this is William Castle's story, so I don't know how true this is. Uh, but I think he claims it's like mentioned in a newspaper or something. This biker happened to be in a buzzer seat and was so pissed off that he ripped out the entire row of movie theater seats. <laughs> <laughs> which... It sounds completely made up and it could be, but if not until you hear yes, that it's in Philadelphia, we're recording in Philadelphia right now. Yeah. And if you know anything about the citizens of our fair oh city, that destruction question? is our I've, favorite. I've
3: seen worse than that just walking
0: to a Chinese store. In
3: oh, Philadelphia yeah. Yeah. At
1: one you point.
0: remember that fucking hitchhiking robot? Oh,
2: oh
1: my geez. God. I line. forgot about he that. He went all over Canada,
0: yeah. all over the U.S. It was a he
1: hitchhiking got... mailbox robot? Yes. Is that what he was? Honestly, so
0: as someone from Philadelphia, he was a fucking piece of garbage with a GPS attached to him and some fucking garbage arms. And whoever it was in Philadelphia who ripped that fucking robot a new one, To me, he's a hero. To me, that person is an absolute fucking hero. I I agree with- Get that piece of garbage out of my fucking city.
3: I I like how Bill Burr was like, Philadelphia is filled with so many fucking worthless people that they had to make a statue for somebody that didn't even exist.
1: (laughs) The Rocky statue? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, this is the original capital of the United States. Yeah, yeah. I think it says a lot. Yeah. (laughs) So- Um. While we can't confirm if that story is true or false, it seems totally plausible. (laughs) Uh. So speaking of movie theaters, one thing that I meant to ask you guys is one of my favorite things about the Tingler is the great movie theater scene. And I was sort of wondering, I looked this up not too much because I, I sort of wanted to to sort of pick your brains, but I'm wondering what is the first horror movie that has scenes set in a movie theater? I feel like this must be among the first.
0: When was The Blob? The Blob
3: was earlier, and The Blob isn't just the first one in a movie. Well, maybe not in a movie theater, but it's the first movie to reference other horror movies.
1: Okay. So uh, this but is I don't
3: know
0: that I hate.
3: But... but yeah, it's it cool. works. It works in the blob because it's just they're at, watching yeah. horror movies. At but horror I, I the hate movie.
0: when you're watching a horror movie that like kind of sucks, and then all oh, of a sudden yeah. on the TV, if they're like playing like The Hills Have Eyes or Evil Dead or something. You're like, oh wow, I wish I was watching that fucking yeah. movie right now.
1: But sometimes <laughs> it's cute, like in Halloween when they watch The Thing from Another World. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's because they're set in the Halloween mood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sometimes no, it's cute, right, and right. I I love it. In certain things, like I do love it in The Blob and Popcorn, which we talked about, and Gremlins and Anguish. I hate it
0: when it's in the dial. Oh, Anguish. <laughs> I always forget about that wonderful fucking piece of Psychotic. shit. I love that movie. I love that movie too. But I do this one is great. Yeah.
1: It's just so. And I, I know that it can be used in really annoying ways, especially in the last like 20 or 30 years by. Directors who are trying to be too clever and trying yeah. to appeal to genre and fans. But yeah, But sometimes winky. it's great. Like I, Demons, come on. It can be demons great. Demons
0: is a fucking perfect film.
3: But Demons, the, the movie they're watching is made for Demons. It's not like a yeah. little movie. Yeah.
1: Which is awesome. I think it's the same thing in Popcorn where all the movies they yeah. watch are not real. Yeah, yeah. They're,
3: they're William Castle-influenced. But, yes. But can you imagine Demons with a William Castle- gimmick Gimmick. oh Oh my my god God. that would be
1: or even gremlins yeah Yeah.
0: i mean like that's so i feel like you could do that with a lot of movies is like and and, like that is the a testament to really good film curators who are doing like screenings who just kind of put on a show with it like uh who's that real charming guy with the suits the he's the author um,
1: oh, uh, author with Grady suits? Hendrix. Yeah,
0: Grady Hendrix. Grady Hendrix. Oh, He yeah. does the, the Hong Kong-a-thon. He was did the 90s fun. marathon. And he comes out between the movies, and he just, like, hypes the crowd back up, you know? And, gosh, his, I... So I, his I,
1: hyping reminds me a lot of those, like, hosts on Turner Classic Movies mm-hmm. who, between the movies they felt very different to me than the sort of like mainstream channels like TNT or USA yeah. who wouldn't have any research and maybe would make fun of the movie and just like weren't interested in it. But the thing that I noticed and that always would excite me about watching Turner classic movies is like they would have really interesting information and they would seem to be taking the movie seriously, even if it was Ed Wood or William Castle or yeah, like, just as seriously as if they were showing Casablanca or something. And I think Grady has that same vibe, which is great. I wish there was more of that.
3: Were you there? I know it was a group of us. It was Texas Chainsaw Massacre at the at the Tilton Theater scratched up print.
2: No, like, no, oh no. Are you God.
3: telling me about it Nearly unwatchable, which is perfect for the movie. It was just so ugly. And then at the end the guy runs through the theater with the chainsaw.
0: I mean, oh, I oh. so cool. love it. That's so nice. Yeah, it really, I mean, I know I keep saying it's a lost art, but it's you can still fucking do it. You can still do it. You know, hey, if you're listening to this out there and you have access to some movie theater, you know, in some town and you do screenings on occasion. Next, next screening you do, go fucking balls to the wall. Do something crazy for the audience, for the kids, for the people at home. Well, not at home, but in the theater.
1: I mean, we just saw something yesterday that I would love to be able to recreate. So we went to Frightland, which is this really great haunted attraction in Delaware. It's, if you can get there, it's amazing. There is a haunted hayride and three haunted houses and a whole, like, actual carnival with carnival rides. But on the Haunted Hayride, one of the set pieces that they drive you through is a haunted drive-in. And they have an actual screen set up showing Night of the Living Dead. And it would be so awesome to even just have your own like kind of neighborhood backyard drive-in that's also a haunted attraction yes the
0: people around halloween that deck out their fucking yards and lawns respect god bless those respect absolutely you are kings and queens and just general royalty in my eyes that's
1: the only reason i want to have an actual house like i live in a little crappy house right now that is fine but doesn't have you know a yard or a or a porch and the only reason i want those things is so that i can decorate my house for halloween and scare some little kids
0: yeah if you're if you're listening out there and you don't have a yard or a porch put a fucking pumpkin in your window for the love of god yeah i always have like six or seven jack-o'-lanterns up on the porch yeah yeah oh carving night's coming up i think after after we record and we start you know feeling our feeling we got we got to carve up some fucking pumpkins
1: we sure do. All
0: right. I think that's uh, as good a place as any to leave things for the day. Before we do sign off, I really, really want to shout out our, our homies over at CinePunks and just like the whole CinePunks family. Yeah, for-
1: there are so many other great podcasts and if you you know i know it's halloween and everybody wants to get out of the house and trick-or-treat and watch horror movies but if you still want to dive into some spooky content there's been a whole month of planning of essays and playlists and all kinds of amazing stuff not just our episodes they're
0: absolutely tireless there and and we're so happy that they're our network and they're releasing our show for us they do they do a lot
1: and i also want to mention the iron sequels podcast uh, I was just on an episode that I think should be out by now, all about uh, Possessed Two, the totally psychotic Hong Kong sequel that I saw recently because John showed it to us, yeah. and it is batshit crazy.
0: John is our uh, our <laughs> William Castle. He's he our is. he 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 brings up he brings us some movies sometimes
1: yeah. that. Are really mind-boggling <laughs> and Possessed 2 is one of them
3: it's it's great I recommend it to anybody who has not seen it see Possessed 2
0: yeah and uh I know you already mentioned it in a previous episode but I just listened to your your Manhunter episode oh, yeah yeah on uh first time oh my gosh that was a really fun ep I, yeah give that a listen and you know what happy Halloween everybody Happy Halloween.
1: Happy Halloween. It's our favorite time of year.
0: It is the best time of year.
1: We're already planning what we're going to talk about next Halloween. Oh, my gosh.
0: We are, But uh, So this last few episodes that we did was our fun October. You well, know, we're going to have
1: a little more fun Halloween. after we're this. We're going to have a little
0: more fun, but we have an episode coming up. Gird your loins. It's not, yeah. It's going to be in the. In We're the going vein back of, to reality here. Yeah, things are about to get.
1: It's <laughs> a harsh reality. Yeah. Yeah. Our,
0: our, our Twitch of the Death nerve moniker is really going to.
3: Twitch of the Death nerve. Yeah. yeah. All right, all right. <laughs>
0: Goodbye, everybody.
1: Night. Happy Halloween.